Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I talk about some strategies investors may consider to help limit downside risk in their portfolios. The market's historic move over the past 15 months, coupled with increasing market volatility and signs of inflation, have some investors looking for ways to protect profits and try to limit downside risk. From active portfolio rebalancing, asset class diversification, looking to where there may be relative value in the market, hedging using tail risk and other strategies, and even modifying your RMD withdrawal timing approach could be ways to help protect your portfolio and profits. But these changes also come with their own set of potential shortfalls, and it's often best for investors who are making these changes to make small adjustments around the edges, and also to stick to their long-term plan and their investment allocation. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Okay, today we're going to talk about um, the idea of how an investor might protect their portfolio and potentially some of the profits that they have in their portfolio, given... um, just how much the market has come back over the last 12 to 15 months. Um, this sort of idea for the, for the, for the article I wrote and, and the podcast, our discussion today, actually came from a number of conversations I was having with investors around um, different strategies and methods on how to protect um, their investment portfolio. And so what I tried to do here and what we're going to talk about is um, a number of various things that... And, and I guess moves in your investment portfolio that one may consider that might be able to help deliver on some of that de-risking of a portfolio if, if the investor feels like that's the best thing um, for them. But maybe just before we get into that, I also put this in my article, is that you know each one of these decisions you know, comes with, it's not a guarantee that what we're going to talk about, these things could actually de-risk or lower risk. You, on the surface, it's going to seem like they... They have the ability to do that, and they certainly might. But the point that I'm trying to make is that you know, anytime you make sort of changes or adjustments to one's portfolio, it, it doesn't necessarily always mean, even if you think it's a risk-reducing thing, um, it doesn't always mean that it's it's going to achieve that goal. But I think some of the things you know we're going to talk about um, will probably mostly do that. It's just you know never a guarantee, of course, with any of this stuff. Um, so to start, Jack, I kind of you know I know we want to talk about this idea of um, the difference between, I guess, risk in the academic world and risk in the real world and sort of how we might go about thinking about that um, to sort of set the, set the stage before we get into some of this stuff. Yeah, so, so when you think about this in the, in the context of like the academic argument or, you know, the facts, the facts that are behind the scenes here, if you, if the stock market has a run like this, or if at any time, if there's uncertainty in the market, whatever's going on in the market, and, and you're, if you have a long-term portfolio that is set up appropriately for your long-term goals, what should you do in a situation like this? The answer is nothing. Um, you know, whether we've had a big run or you know, we, we're seeing ris- additional risk in the market, the answer is you should stick with that portfolio because timing the market is so difficult. And typically, when you try to time the market, you do more to hurt yourself than you do to help yourself. But and what we've learned managing money over the years is you can't just have that hard and fast, you should never do anything rule. Because people have emotions, people have biases, you know, people have things that influence what they're doing. And so 
you don't, what you want to avoid here, the worst case scenario, when, when you see any sort of market environment present itself and you say, do I want to make changes? The one thing you want to avoid is the binary choice. The binary choice is what kills people. You know, the binary, right now, as we're talking, you know, we've had a lot of volatility in the last few days. The binary choice would be, all right, I'm panicked, put my portfolio in cash. And, and that type of change almost always has a, a major negative effect on an investment plan. And so the, the better thing to do, and, and this is sort of what you're getting out of the article, the better thing to do is maybe to look around the edges and say, are there some minor, you know, if, if a client or if a person is, is feeling this way about the market, are there some minor adjustments I can make? Are there some tweaks I can make here that might allow an investor to stick with their portfolio, even though that's not the perfect thing in the academic world, because it, sticking with your portfolio is much better than making one of these in or out type decisions. One of the examples I gave in my article was that if you took an investor, let's say that was 50-50 stocks and bonds at the end of 2019. So they come into 2020 with that, let's say, target allocation. Let's even say they rebalanced back to that because that's what they, where they wanted to be in terms of you know, their allocation between stocks and, and, and bonds. Effectively, the market would have dropped 30%, assuming there was no changes made. But now as it's come back, that allocation would be more like you know, 65, 70% equity and the bonds would be a lot lower. So in that case, you know, the stocks have done so well that they're kind of far from their target allocation. And what, what the risk of that is, you know, if the market takes a downturn, now they're going to have more stock exposure relative to their bond exposure, assuming that they're, you know, the bond ex do, you know, do what they should do, which is hold up better than stocks in a downturn. You know, that type of allocation being so far, you know, away from the target, it might not be the best thing for the investor. So one of the ideas I had, and what, what I also did is I showed, you know, um, and it's kind of a different concept, I guess, but um, we're sort of blending this, this uh, rebalancing and diversification sort of conversation together. But in this section of my article, I also had uh, a table going back to 2012 of all the different asset classes and their performance. And I show, you know, so it's showing US stocks, Japanese stocks, European stocks, high yield bonds, REITs, um, emerging market equities, cash, commodities. And so I was kind of you trying to use this idea of um, uh, sort of diversification, but also rebalancing back to target weights when they, when they get so far out of whack as examples of things that investors should be thinking about and potentially doing with their portfolio. Again, on the edges, but these are just, you know, that's just one idea to help maybe reduce some risk in the portfolio. Yeah, and this is rebalancing is a great way to do it without getting into the whole market timing idea because rebalancing is basically just getting back to where you wanted to be in the first place. And you know, one of the things I think is really important with rebalancing is is to have some sort of systematic process to do it because if you start trying to figure out, you know, picking and choosing when you rebalance, then you put your emotions back into the equation. So, you know, I think there's two two interesting ways to do rebalancing. One is you can just have sort of scheduled times you do rebalancing throughout the year. Or the other one is you can have sort of bands around your portfolio. And so if, if your stock and bond allocation gets more than X percent out of whack, you'll do an automatic rebalancing back. So I think both of those make sense. But I think if you are going to, I think rebalancing is a great way to do this, but it's probably good to have like a systematic process about it. So you're not just, you know, picking and choosing what days you're doing it. One of the other things that this chart showed, and we'll actually put this in the podcast. I'll drop this in just so investors can see. Um, and I'm just making this as a point, but U.S. equities over the last 10 years, and I believe this is just like U.S. large cap, have returned 14.3% annually per year. The next uh, asset class uh, in terms of the number uh, second spot 
the second performer, the second best performer is REITs at seven and a half percent. And then from there, everything else is below it. And by the way, commodities are negative 5.4%. So, you know, it's been a great decade for U.S. stocks and U.S. investors that have been, you know, largely in the market um, have certainly benefited from that. But I think if you were to roll this return um, table back, you know, 10 or 20 years, you might still see U.S. equities on top. But, you know, commodities certainly have had periods where they've had better runs in there and, and some of these other asset classes. So that's just another thing to keep in mind um, that U.S. equities have done very well. Things like commodities haven't, but that sometimes allocating strategically to the areas that haven't done well um, can be good as we think about future returns. And also, as you look at the potential for inflation in the future, you know, that, that's something we hear from investors a lot about. You know, if, if the risk you're worried about is inflation, then there, again, there are changes you can make around the edges where maybe you don't just hold stocks and bonds in your portfolio. Maybe you hold some assets that would do well in an inflationary, inflationary environment. You know, we're not necessarily rotating tons of money towards that, but you can make that one of your positions. And so you can protect from that type of scenario if that's what you're concerned about as an investor by putting some of those assets in a portfolio and not just having stocks and bonds. These next two topics are a little bit more active in nature. So we're sort of talking about, you know, just a few minutes ago, this diversification, rebalancing. Those are sort of higher level um, investment decisions that investors can make. But the other thing I pointed to is in the title of this part was look at the laggards. And this is something you've written about how high quality stocks have underperformed low quality stocks. Um, really over the past few months. And I put a chart in the article that showed periods of time when profitable companies in the Russell 2000 value beat the unprofitable companies and periods when unprofitable companies beat profitable companies. And we're certainly in a period where unprofitable companies are beating um, profitable companies. And so my idea here was, you know, for the active investor that is, you know, sort of allocating to equities based on that have certain characteristics, it might make sense to look at these highly profitable or high quality companies in the value segment um, and kind of lightening up on these unprofitable ones if that's where you've been in the market. Yeah, this, this is a solution to the whole problem of, you know, and this, this also applies to tech stocks, not just these low quality value stocks. You know, I, I have a big position in X type of stock. That stock has had a massive run. You know, that type of stock has had a massive run. How do I deal with that problem? And, and one way to deal with that problem is just to say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So obviously, whatever this is you've invested in has done really well, but there's something on the other side of the coin that you also could buy. So if you have a lot of low quality value stocks, you know, you can rotate into some higher quality value stocks. If you've got a lot of FANG stocks, you know, maybe looking at value in general is a good idea. You know, spreading your, your bets across different things that might work in different outcomes in the future is, is a good way to look at this. If, if you're worried about a certain type of stock that you've had a certain, you know, that you've had a very large return on. One of the innovations, well, there's a lot of innovations that are happening in sort of in the ETF space, but I talked about this concept of hedging and buffering. Again, this is more of a direct, I guess, a, a direct play on, you know, trying to somewhat time a decline, or maybe that might not be the right word. It just might be, you know, adding some um, strategies or vehicles that would go up if the market goes down. And I use the example of the tail risk ETF there. Um, and then there's also ETFs that use um, out of money put options on the market so they can offer some tail risk protection. Uh, and then, you know, there's even other strategies that have this buffer built into them. So um, they're basically offering prote protection against certain losses in the market. Like maybe they'll protect against a 9% or 15 or 30% loss, but then they're capping the upside 
as well. And th those are known as buffer ETFs. So those might be some vehicles that investors can use strategically to sort of hedge out some of this market risk if they think the market's really expensive and, um, and they're willing to maybe give up some upside if they get it wrong. Yeah, one of the cool things that's been going on with all the innovation in ETFs is a lot of these strategies that maybe would have been more institutional strategies in the past are now available to individual investors. And so what you don't want to do with these strategies is some of these strategies can be very complex and very risky. So, you know, some strategy that's double short the S&P 500 or something is, or that, you know, that just owns, you know, just owns options or something like that is probably not the direction you want to go. But this, you, you mentioned the Simplify ETFs. That's a good example of something that's, that's innovative and that might make sense for some investors. You know, what that is is the Simplify ETFs hold the S&P 500, but they also hold either out-of-the-money put options, out-of-the-money call options, or both along with the S&P 500. So you continue to have a lot, you know, your normal market exposure, but you have tail risk protection. You know, if you, if you want tail risk protection on the downside, they have one that just does that. They have one that has tail risk protection on both the up and downside and one that has tail risk protection, you know, for, for the upside, basically. If you think the upside is going to really run, you can do that as well. So that's just not, we're not recommending any particular products, but that's just an example of the types of things that are out there now. You know, there's much, you know, there's risk parity ETFs now. There's a lot of things out there now that investors can look at maybe if they want to get away from just having their market risk without any hedges whatsoever that they can use. I had two um, elements of like timing in here that could be utilized potentially to address this. One was, and I'll let you kind of speak to both of these, but one was um, the potential increase in long-term capital gains rates for high earners and ultra wealthy people that has been proposed by the Biden administration. Um, that might play a role in timing some changes in a portfolio. And then I also sort of just highlighted this uh, dynamic R&D um, required minimum distribution strategy where an investor might decide to take the R&D earlier in the year. Um, now there's a risk to that. The market could continue to go up. You could have a melt up and you could be leaving money on the table. But for an investor that you know feels like the market, there's more downside risk and would be worried about that and it you know, may have bad behavior during that period, you know, it may make sense to take the RMD now while stocks are doing really well rather than wait until the end of the year, which when a lot of investors do it. Yeah, we're certainly far from tax experts, but the tax situation has been very interesting during this whole run because one, you had this compressed, you know, period where the market went up a lot. And so you had a lot of investors sitting on short-term gains and sort of decide, you know, balancing holding these until they become long-term gains with maybe some sort of risk management. And then you have, like you, you referenced, the possibility that for a certain you know, a certain type of investor that has a large, you know, has a large income and a large portfolio that their tax rates, their long-term gains may be taxed as short-term gains, you know, starting in, in maybe 2022. And so that, that's just, you know, we're not tax experts, so we can't, you know, necessarily have too many opinions on that one way or the other, but it's a very interesting dynamic that, that we've sort of been dealing with with clients this year about, well, what do I do? You know, I'm worried about the risk. I've had this huge run. I want to wait till my gains are long-term. And then on, on the flip side, like I, once my gains are long-term, I want, might want to take my gains because now I'm worried about, you know, if I take them in the next year, you know, the tax rate's going to be much higher. So it's just something to consider. I mean, obviously everybody's situation is different, but it's a very unique situation going on right now with that. Yeah. And like I pointed out in the article, a lot of these things we're talking about, you either, if you are going to do these, if they're in taxable accounts, there would be some taxable transactions that if you're going to you know, change your portfolio, basically that you got to keep in mind and be aware of. Um, obviously if it's retirement account, you know, you don't need to really worry about that so much. Um, yeah, you know, I think just to sum up everything we've talked about, I mean, there, there's always going to be risks in the market and there's always going to be things to worry about and there's always going to be uncertainty. And, you know, the, the, 
the thing we said at the beginning is usually the right answer. And the, the, usually the right answer is if you have your portfolio set up with a long-term allocation that makes sense for you, those risks will work themselves out. And trying to adjust it in response to what's going on in the market is typically not a good idea. But if changing your portfolio is going to prevent a major mistake, or if you see one risk that you're really, really particularly worried about and you want to make slight adjustments to, to deal with that risk, a lot of times that's a better answer than you know panicking at some at some point in the future and going all the way to cash or making some sort of major change. So, you know, I, I think it, it's definitely a long-term balance here. Um, but these these are you had some really good ideas in the article in terms of things if if people are trying to do things around the edges if they're not trying to make major major changes these are some this is a good checklist of things you can look at and things you can consider. Great, thank you very much. I think it's a great way to great way to sum it up. So thank you guys for watching, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube, or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.